Welcome back to the show. Today we have a tremendous guest, Brian Ahern, who is the Chief Influence Officer at Influence People. And as a former Director of Learning at State Auto Insurance, uh, Brian is well-versed in both the ideas of influence and insurance and how to apply those to your business. He's authored a LinkedIn best-selling course, Persuasive Selling, has been cited in many books on the idea of influence and persuasion, and is certified in the Ciudini um, Readiness Assessment, which basically is 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 a fairly rare thing. Like Robert Cialdini, who is the godfather of work around influence and persuasion, he quite literally wrote the book, does not certify many people in his methodology. And Brian is one of the people who, who um, has able to achieve that. And Anyone who can speak sales, persuasion, influence, and insurance is something someone that we want to talk to, my friends. So it was a great pleasure to talk to Brian. Our conversation is a little short only because I had some technical difficulties on the front end, but it's all good. This gives you a great base level of what Brian can provide, and we've already started to talk about having Brian back on the show so we can dig deeper into some of the topics um, that he, he can really drive forward for us. Um, so it's just wonderful to have Brian on the show, and I'm happy to share him with you today. Um, before we get to Brian, I just briefly want to say thank you. Thank you for listening to the show. I know we have many new listeners to the show. I've just seen the numbers on the podcast continue to grow, and it's um, I'm very thankful for those of you who take time to listen. We've had some tremendous guests sharing tremendous stories, and uh, it is, you know, with starting Rogue Risk, um, the podcast has been something I've had to be more strategic about uh, about scheduling and and recording and and when I put the episodes together just because I have far far fewer minutes in the day to do this but it is something I will always continue to do because it is just it is um, it is an honor to be able to uh, introduce you to new people connect you with people you may already know on a deeper level and just share the stories that make our industry so special so uh, if you're not subscribed to the show please do uh, you can get that wherever you listen to podcasts um, and I just want to say uh, I appreciate you I appreciate you for listening to this show so with that we are going to get on to Brian Ahern right here on the Ryan Hanley show. You are, um, t- talk to me about this. Uh, you, you are, um, uh, I'm not going to use the right phrasing, approved, certified Robert Cialdini, um, influence trainer or coach. Yeah. T- talk to me about that because, um, uh, uh, Cialdini's book influence. I've read it twice. I love it. I've actually referenced it in some of my speech. I know a lot of people have, I mean, it's one of the more popular uh, business books, but yeah. I don't know anyone. I've never met anyone before that is actually certified in it. And uh, I'd love to hear more about that. Okay. Um, I, I met, uh, Robert Cialdini pretty much by accident. Um, somebody who worked with me when I was with state auto insurance, uh, came down and gave a video to my boss and I at the time. And, it was Robert Cialdini presenting at Stanford. And when I watched the video, like so many people who read the book now, I went, holy cow, this psychology explains all the sales training that we do. And I liked the fact that it was based on research. It wasn't somebody's good advice. It was empirical data. 
And then the other thing that really appealed to me was his stance on ethics. He's very big on non-manipulative ways to get people to do things. So I started to use the video in some training. And one day I got a marketing piece from Stanford and I'm flipping through it and I see Cialdini's picture. It says bestseller right at the top. And then underneath it, it says, call it influence, persuasion, or even manipulation, right in the headline. So that didn't sit well with me. I like to think I'm a moral person and uh, I felt compelled to address it. So I emailed Stanford and I basically said, I don't know anybody who wants to be manipulated. I don't know anybody who's looking to become a good manipulator. That word can't be helping your sales, but it really could be hurting. And I never heard from Stanford, but sometime later my phone rang and it was a representative from Cialdini's office. She said, I'm calling to personally thank you on behalf of the doctor. Your email is changing the marketing of all of our material with Stanford. And we wanted wow. to say thank you. And as, as fate would have it, she said, if, um, if your company's ever looking for a guest speaker, um, he travels the world and speaks about this. I said, I sit next to the woman who runs our events. Would you like me to transfer you? In summer of 2004, he was in Columbus, Ohio, a couple of times to address our agents. And that's what got the ball rolling. Wow. So then how did that translate into you um, actually working inside, a, inside his program and learning kind of the nitty gritty, like the, the, the inside baseball and what he was doing? Okay. Well, when we hired him to come out and speak, my boss and I decided we should go to Arizona and go through the two-day workshop. And we went through it and, and he was the ultimate sales guy. I don't know if in your travels you ever met John Petrucci, uh, John yep. retired. And, uh, but we both clearly saw the application. So I always had John's full support after we went through that workshop, but I did have to stay on him for about three years to allow me to go back and get certified because I said, we could take this and we could use it with our leadership team to help them be more persuasive with the people who report to them. But I was also thinking down the road that we could morph this into a sales training opportunity for insurance agents. And we did that about 10 or 12 years ago. I used to do something through State Auto called the principles of persuasive selling with insurance agents where they'd come in for two days and we would dive deep into the, the uh, psychology and talk about its application in sales. Um, what was like in, in, in that certification process and in the, in the training and workshop, like what was the first thing that grabbed you when you were like, I, this, this, this is, this is another level. Like this is something we absolutely have to inf implement. Like what was one of the things that really kind of caught you and, and was meaty? When we learned about what's called scarcity, that we value things more when we believe they're less available or they're going away. When we, once we understood that we incorporated one thing into a prospecting email that we would send to agents. So I, I like to think we were a little bit ahead of our time in early 2000s, we were using a database where our field people would put in information. If they went out to see you and your agency, Ryan, they'd put in information and mark you as somebody to, to market to. We would send emails on a quarterly basis. And at the end of the third quarter, we decided to add one extra paragraph at the very end. And it would have said something like this. Ryan, part of the reason I'm reaching out to you today is to let you know we're only looking to appoint 30, ag 30 agencies in our 40 operating states. As of the end of the third quarter, we have appointed 25. Um, we hope you're one of the remaining few that we appoint by year end. And so realizing that there's not a lot of states, not a lot of uh, agencies they're looking to appoint, and they've almost reached their goal, what ended up happening was John, my boss, came over to me within the hour and he said, I can't believe it. I've had eight agents reply to me within an hour, either via email or phone call. He said, I've never had an agent 
reply to that email within an hour. So he clearly saw that truthfully incorporating that scarcity was changing behavior. And you have aha moments like that and you just start looking for all the other places that you can begin to incorporate the psychology. How would an agent, you know, when you were doing your persuasive selling course, like taking scarcity for, for as an instance, you know, I think I, that scarcity has always felt like a tough one to work into the insurance process. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how would you recommend uh, scarcity or, or if scarcity is different, a different one, but like what's a, what's a strong example of a way that an agent could use that in their agency? Well, the interesting thing about scarcity is most agents don't do any single thing that's unique and they, they will, they'll tout some things, but, but there's not much that's truly unique where you realize if I don't do business with this agent, I can't get this one thing. But if you package a number of things that they do, that's where they can legitimately say nobody else in the tri-state area or something like that does these three things. And, and it may be a combination of carriers, uh, um, access to certain markets and, and other things like that, but they have to step back and kind of creatively look at that. Because Ryan, you and I, in, in the vast majority of respects are the same. I mean, we're white males in insurance. I'm a little older than you, but we, we could go down this path of we're both devilishly very, handsome. Yeah, oh, absolutely. The, I don't know if it's your filter. I don't know if that's why I look like a <laughs> Um, but, but also you can say that there are certain things then that make you completely unique when you put them all together, that Ryan Hanley is different than Brian Ahern. And that's what, that's what agents need to really start honing in on. What is it that you put it all together? We are different than the people that we're competing with in our geographic area. Why do you think, um, that's not like, um, why do we not just intrinsically do that? Like what's keeping us from, from that idea? Well, um, John and I didn't intrinsically know that we should include that paragraph. Now it's a no brainer. I mean, I would, I would, I'm always thinking about how can I uh, honestly incorporate scarcity into my communication so that it moves people to action. But most people aren't really thinking about that. Now they may in a dating sense, right? Maybe they say, hey, this is why you wanna marry me. I'm totally unique. Um, but they don't translate that into everything else. I really believe that once people begin to learn the psychology and that you can put a label to something, that you start seeing it everywhere. I mean, it just becomes amazing how it's jumping out at you. Scarcity is an example how salespeople are trying to get you to buy and marketers are trying to get you to the store or politicians are trying to get you to vote for him or her. It seems to me that, you know, anytime you talk about persuasion, as you said very early on, um, um, it's you want to do it in a moral way, right? And I feel like this is almost people are almost shy away from some of these tactics because they're worried about feeling spammy. Because you know, if you look in your LinkedIn messages, you know, someone has taken this concept to the nth degree right. so that it's not even useful. So, how do you one kind of get over the idea of using? I'll say tactics, but in a very positive sense um, in the first place. And then when do you know if you've taken it too far to the point where they start to not be useful because it's so blatantly obvious what you're doing and mm-hmm. it's not actually real? Um, I think, first of all, we, we talk about principles of influence. And, and I believe that when you incorporate principles into your life, it's just kind of who you become. Um, for example, if you have some people that you enjoy being around and 
And maybe you and your wife say, you know what? He or she is such a nice person. I mean, every time I do something, they say thank you, right? That stands out. Now, some people didn't grow up learning that that is so important, right? So they have to, they have to learn it. But I don't think it's wrong then that somebody realizes, wow, if I say thank you, more people do what I want or it builds my relationships, I'm going to start saying thank you. I mean, yeah. I, think that's, I think that's a good thing. Where, where it gets smarmy is when people are not being completely legitimate and truthful. So for example, let's use the scarcity example. If somebody knocks on your door to sell you in your home, uh, roofing, gutter, siding, things like that, and you give them time of day and you listen to them. And at the end they say, Ryan, if you buy today, I can save you 15%. But if I have to come back, I can't give you that price. That's BS. Because he will try to tell you that he's so busy he can't afford to come back. And you and I both know the close ratio on those kind of hard sales is probably pretty low. Any customer who would guarantee a sale, that, that salesperson would come running back. It might be legitimate if they said, you know, Ryan, there's a hurricane that's barreling down on the East Coast. And if it strikes like they think, there could be a shortage of lumber, building supplies, and, and roofing. So for that reason, I can't guarantee you this price. But if you sign today, we can guarantee it. That's legitimate because it's truthful information. Does that make sense? It makes complete sense. It's funny, a uh, technology vendor just played that, you know, if you sign in the next 15 minutes, I'll, you know, double discount your price that I've marked up quadruple to start with deal. And, uh, you know, I, <laughs> I just, I find it very interesting that, I, I just find it very interesting that tactic in particular, because I feel like at this point, it's been, it's, it's been when it is unauthentic, it's been so bastardized in its right. unauthentic version that the fact that people even still use it is odd to me. Like it feels odd. And maybe that's because I have read the book. Mm -hmm. I do have my eyes open and I feel like I at least have a certain amount of a filter to not fall for it. Right. But at the same time, you're like, geez, like, you know, there's no possible reason on yeah. earth that if I wait seven more days, that that same exact price can't be available. Now, yeah. if what you're telling me is you're only, you know, you have to make your quarterly numbers and mm -hmm. you, and this price gets you in, you know, and that's the reason that you're able to discount it. That's fine. But I can always just wait till next quarter. Cause the same thing's going to be true again. So it's, it's interesting that people still use these. So, yeah. um, so, so in your work, um, you know, maybe what is, so, so we talked a little bit about scarcity, um, and, and, and influence like today. Um, and I think a lot of people listening to this are sales focused, marketing focused. Mm -hmm. Some of them are more digital. Some of them are more, um, more traditional, but I'd say all of them are at least thinking digital, considering digital, moving, trying to move their business in some way, shape or form towards being more in the digital space from an influence perspective and trying to build relationships that are, are necessary and important to insurance agents. What are some of the influence persuasion techniques, ideas that, that work in the digital space um, that maybe, or, or don't work, you know, what, what is the difference, I guess is what I'm trying to get to between what, how you're building those relationships, how you're drawing people in, in the digital space versus maybe what would happen for that guy knocking on your door. Yeah. Well, I think an advantage you have in the digital space, there are lots of studies that show that the more somebody is exposed to you, 
and assuming those are at a minimum neutral, but hopefully positive experiences, the more likely they are to say yes to you. I think that would translate the more likely they are to stay with you. So the days of the insurance agent really having contact with customers like once a year, sending a calendar around the holidays, uh, just won't cut it. And I remember, and this shows my age, but there was a study that my boss, John Petrucci, used to reference quite a bit. It was a 1996 big eye study, and it showed that according to customers, they only heard from their insurance agents once every four to five years. I mean, that, that will not fly in today's market. So I think agents need to think, how can I use the technology that's available to do some of the things that I don't always feel I have time to do? Um, to maybe schedule some, some emails that go out that if somebody responds to, I pick up the phone and I talk to them. Or if they respond, I respond back in person. But there's an opportunity to automate some of these things so you become that memorized, top of mind, likable person. How important is it that you have like your language dialed in in these? Because it seems to me like you can, you can send out more touch points but if you're not thinking about the language, if you're not thinking about that, that last paragraph, as you described with, with your email, if you're not putting some conscious effort and thought and intention into those words, then it's almost as if the touch point doesn't matter. It's a zero impact event. Yeah, it's, there's, gotta be, there's gotta be some value or some ask or something that, that's in there. Just sending it out to send it out just becomes a little spammy and bothersome. But if there's, um, tips for spring, things to think about for vacation. And I know some of those are somewhat traditional things, but, but making sure that that information goes out. They're not gonna read it every single time, but that is certainly gonna make them think about you when somebody else says, let me quote your business. And they're thinking, well, you know, my agent's always reaching out to me. I don't respond to every email, but I appreciate the fact that he or she is trying to educate me. You know, I think that point that you just made there, which was almost, uh, not a throwaway comment, but I think, but I think it, that they're not going to read every message. Like that to me is something that is often lost with a lot of agents is that, you know, they send out a newsletter and they're like, only a hundred people opened it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then you send out another one and another hundred people open it. Yep. And you send out another one and another hundred people open it. And now you're starting over time to reach the full yep. customer base. But it's like, it's like, we, we think that that, we're not thinking about the cumulative effort. So when you're, when you're thinking about, um, uh, maybe you have a prospect list and you're thinking about influencing that prospect list to consider you as their insurance professional. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how, does, how do you start to consider the cumulative effort of the messages versus just the copy in one individual message? Well, I think, for example, if, if I'm reaching out to somebody, you know, and I stepped away from my corporate job almost a year and a half ago, uh, it's tough. I mean, making phone calls, sending emails, doing follow-up texts. And I remember one day feeling pretty discouraged. I'm like, gosh, I'm just not really hearing back from anybody. And these are people I know. They were people that worked with me who moved on to other areas. And in the span of two days, probably half a dozen people got back to me and it kind of restored my faith. But I, but I realized they were seeing everything I was sending. And in every case, it was, hey, Brian, you're not bothering me. You're not doing too much. Here's what's going on. Been busy. But I also realized, too, if I hadn't done that, if I hadn't had, you know, maybe four outreaches in six months or something like that, they probably wouldn't have made the phone call or email when they ultimately did. So I always like to approach people and, and ask the question, what's the right cadence for you? You know, I want to stay in touch. 
this isn't something that has to result in business anytime in the immediate future, but I want to be on the radar when you begin to think about certain things. And once they define that, that's a principle that we talk about, which is consistency. People don't argue against what they've said, what they've done, or what they believe. Once they've said, hey, Brian, it's totally cool for you to reach out to me every two months, then they're far more likely to actually respond to that because they know inside they told me they committed to that. Yeah. Do you think that, you know, I, do you think that people are, I'm trying to phrase this question properly. Like to me, um, is this just something that salespeople and marketing people need to think about or, are, right. or should we be, should we be thinking about these type of ideas from a much broader sense? I mean, obviously your example with what you were doing um, at state auto is, is one of those cases, but I just think, Far too often, um, anyone who doesn't think of themselves as a salesperson immediately takes yep. them to these type of ideas and just puts them in a bucket and moves on. And that, that seems like not right. It applies to everybody. I, I typically will ask people, how many of you would agree that much of your professional success and personal happiness depends on getting people to say yes? And every hand goes up. I mean, people know, even if they're not in sales, I mean, if you're a manager in a big company, your great idea doesn't become a project until somebody above you says yes. And if you're the leader, it doesn't matter how good your mission, vision, and values are if you can't get people to say yes. And when you go home, it's pretty darn important if your kids or spouse or neighbors more willingly say yes to you. There's a little more peace and happiness. You lay it out the right way and everybody realizes, I can use this. And when I speak to audiences, I always weave in a lot of personal examples because I know there are some people who are there because they have to be. And once you say, maybe I can help you get your kid to empty the dishwasher, they're all in. So people start to realize it's a, it really is a 24 seven, 365 skill. How do you get your kid to empty the dishwasher? Okay. I've shared this example many times when I do a talk, it was not uncommon when our daughter was a teenager for my wife to maybe say, Abigail, empty the dishwasher in the hustle and bustle of the morning. And we take off for work. And she takes off for school, our daughter. And we come home at 5 or 5.30 and the dishwasher's not empty. Now, she worked a job. She kept different hours. So she might be out until we go to bed. So we wake up in the morning, dishwasher not empty. And now, Ryan, you can imagine how that conversation goes, right? Mom and teenage daughter, I told you to empty the dishwasher. And then here come the excuses. I didn't hear you. Been busy. I was studying. I was just about to do it. <laughs> and... All of that could have been avoided by simply doing this. I would have said, Abigail, will you please empty the dishwasher before you leave for school? She either says yes and does it, but if she says, no, I can't, I'm in a hurry, then I'd say, hey, wait, time out. Will you empty it as soon as you get home from school before you leave for work? Yeah, yeah, I will. And virtually every time she did, because within all of us, in that principle of consistency I mentioned, we feel better about ourselves and we know we look better to other people when we keep our word. And it's a huge, huge driver of behavior because when we back out of our word, even when it's legitimate reasons and the other party understands, we don't feel good, right? We, and so we work hard to avoid that bad feeling by keeping our word. So that boils down to stop telling people what to do and start asking. When you ask, Make sure you have fallback positions, right? My daughter said, no, I can't. I'm in a hurry. Fall back. Will you do it as soon as you get home from school before leaving for work? And virtually every time she did it. 
You know, that seems highly applicable to a sales process, a sales prospecting process, getting people, you know, this is something that I've heard um, a lot of sales oriented consultants and speakers and trainers talk about is, is getting them to commit to that next meeting, right? I had a sales trainer that I used to work with who was just like, I, I'm, I'm not going to this meeting to get a sale. I'm going to get the next meeting and the yep. next meeting. And eventually one of those meetings is the meeting where they say yes to you, but you're always going in and you never leave without a next meeting. Even if that meeting's a year from now, you're leaving with the next meeting because it gets them to commit to the idea that, that I've said I'll meet with you again. And yep. then if they, they ever say no, then you just know they're not a prospect anymore. And um, I thought that was a really interesting way. It also gets you on that yes train. It gets you used to saying yes to things that you're doing and, and, and there's some things there, but um, yep. that's, that's really interesting that yep. people wanna, wanna keep their word. Yes, it's, like I say, it's a powerful driver. Um, I often ask people in, in the audience, I'll say, how many of you have ever given your word to somebody and then you had to back out? Every hand goes up. And if it doesn't, I say, if your hand didn't go up, then it will at some point because there's always something that's more important that can get in the way. Um, you might realize you forgot it was your anniversary. Somebody got sick. Um, your, your spouse had to go somewhere. You had to stay home with the kids. Something comes up. And a good friend understands that. And they probably say, hey, Ryan, don't worry about it. Just you know, go do what you need to do. But the question then is really though, how did you feel? And when I say shout it out, give me a word, the words are awful, guilty, horrible, terrible. Everybody feels really bad, even though their excuse is legitimate and their friend understands. That shows that internal pressure we feel to keep up with our word. It's more about us feeling good about ourselves than it really is the other person. So if someone's listening to this and they're saying, you know, this is something I've heard about, I've bumped into it, like, like what is... Like what's a way that someone could start to practice this or, or put it into a practice at home? Now, obviously you have formal trainings, you do speaking. So anyone who puts on events, Brian is there to, 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 to come and, and present to your audience or, or do workshops, There's all kinds of things that you have. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. But, but like, if you're just sitting home and you're like, you know, I, like today, I'd like to start practicing this. Like what is one way that someone could start to put this into, into motion? I think the easiest way is, Next time before you send an email, reread it quickly and ask yourself, is there anywhere in here that I'm telling somebody what to do, but I could be asking? And if there is, change that statement into a question. People feel pretty compelled to answer questions. I mean, think about if you're walking down a mall and somebody's at a kiosk and they kind of run out and they're like walking alongside you and trying to get you. We almost always answer their question by saying, no, thank you. So people feel pretty compelled to answer questions. So reread that email and ask yourself, is there anywhere in here that I could change a statement into a question to engage the psychology? Because once that person says yes, they're far more committed to follow through. Yeah, I like that. And, and in your world, like Ryan, it, as you're starting up your agency, you don't say, um, Bob, I need your loss runs by Friday. It's Bob, can you get me your loss runs? And I wouldn't say Friday if that's when you need them. Bob, can you get me the loss runs by Monday? because without them, I can't get your quote, okay? So if he says Monday's not gonna work, you've got fallback positions and psychology says that if someone says no to you and you step in with another ask right away, the likelihood goes way up that they'll say yes. You've incorporated a little scarcity because you've said, I can't get your quote without it. There's a psychological trigger with the word because, I mean, you can go super, super deep into this, but that simple phrase, 
can you get me your loss runs by Monday? Because without them, I can't, I can't even start working on your quote is going to trigger a lot more response than I need your loss runs by Friday. Yeah. So, um, you're surrounded by bottles of, is it scotch? I see. Is that Johnny Walker back it, there? I see a little is. scotch and bourbon. Yep. Nice. And what, where, where did that affinity come from outside of the obvious? Um, I had a friend who I think it was about seven or eight years ago asked me if I'd ever, if I like scotch. And I said, I've never really had it before. I said, bring a bottle over and I'll try it. He brought a bottle over and it was good enough that I'm like, yeah, I'm willing to try more. And so my wife and I really started to get into it. Um, I like the fact that it didn't make me full like craft beer. I yeah. Mean, the size of meals and two beers it just felt like I was going to explode. She liked the fact that it didn't make her sleepy. Um, <clears throat> if I drink too much, I never feel bad like I did with wine or, um, or beer. So I, I say it's almost the perfect drink. I wish it were less expensive than it would be. <laughs> and, and we got so into it that... Um, summer of 2018 we went to scotland for our 30th anniversary and my wife's an awesome golfer she wanted to play golf so she played st andrews and we went around the country and drank scotch and went to distilleries and had an incredible time wow and she actually built that bar she wow. designed it and built it she's pretty amazing yeah geez that sounds that that trip sounds amazing that bar is beautiful for anyone listening at home uh and not watching the youtube video if you go to the youtube video you'll be able to see this ridiculous amazing bar with uh with some very nice i'm, I'm going down with my head like that's going to work in the screen <laughs> yeah. but uh yeah that's a very very strong strong selection of uh yep. uh is that old granddad up there i see too yeah no no i've got oban though you're probably looking oh at yeah the, the glare i'm like that would be an odd i'm looking at all the other ones and i'm no, going no, no, no. geez they're, that they're... must be one of his like that's what he pulls out when the in-laws come over here take take this old granddad <laughs> There's no, there's no doers, Cuddy Sark. In, in <laughs> Most people who, who've told me that they don't like it, I always say, let me guess. Your dad drank something like Cuddy Sark and you and your friends took a bottle one day to go have fun and he got sick. Yeah, that's what happened. So it tasted terrible and it made you sick. But when I give people a good scotch, I don't necessarily say they're all converted, but usually their eyebrows go up and they go like, wow, this is really good. It's, yeah, it's so much different. It's a whole different ball game. Oh, absolutely. Um, it's like if you've ever, if you've drank Bacardi your whole life and then you have real vodka, like it changes your whole vantage point. It's the same thing with the kids. It's the same thing with basically all of them. Yeah. Um, not that I would ever condone drinking rum, but you know, the, the rest of them, you, 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 you know, you go to that next level and it becomes so much less about the drinking and more about the experience of what the, what, you know, the flavors and how the flavors hit you. I mean, that was the first thing that I really noticed when I started uh, drinking, um, you know, some higher end whiskeys and scotches mm -hmm. and bourbons was, and, and I know that, that there's a range in there, but um, is, is the, the flavors are, they kind of hit you in waves. You know what I mean? It's yeah. not just like, oh, a taste and it's down. Like it, it, it's a real, it's a more of an experience when done really right. And, you know, you take your time with it. And, and it lingers on your palate because, you know, you can have that, that sips goes down and a few seconds later, you press your tongue up against the top of your mouth and you feel it all again. It's, yeah. It, and uh, it, it's like beers and wines and other things. There's such a variety of flavors. Yeah. And um, when we were in Scotland and we were in St. Andrews, we went to a little bar and when my wife sipped a scotch, she said, oh my gosh, this is the best scotch I've ever tasted. She said, it's melting in my mouth like cotton candy. 
not that it was sweet, but just how it was all over. Yeah. The and uh, it's called Glendronach 18. And I uh, can't get it here in Ohio, but she, she found a place in Pennsylvania near her parents. And so whenever she's out there, she picks up a bottle. So if you were going to give someone a recommendation for something they could probably find in most, you know, liquor stores or package stores, depending on what state you're in, um, you know, what would be that recommendation? What would be something where you'd say, you know, you're most likely going to find this. It's not obscure. Like there's a, you know, some hole in the wall place in Pennsylvania that has it, but like yeah. most likely going to be there. What would be your recommendation? I, I, I enjoy, I think the Glen Morangy line the most. A lot of restaurants you can find, uh, it's called the Glen Morangy original or the 10 year. And that's really good. But when you start to um, drink their Quinta Rubin and Los Santa and some of the other ones, they're like, wow, they're, they're, yeah. they're really, yeah. really good. So, but I kind of find my taste floats around because I don't like to open a whole bunch of bottles at one time. I kind of like take a bottle or two and work that one. And then I shift to another one. I'm like, and I really taste the difference. And then I'm like, wow, I really like this. So it's, that's just how I roll when it comes to. Having yeah. So um, pulling us back into our conversation here uh, today, you are speaking, consulting, doing workshops. Uh, where, where would people, if, if they're listening to this and they're going, you know what, like, this is absolutely missing from my business or uh, I'm running an event and this is absolutely what I'd love to have in my program. Like where do people connect with you? Where's the best place to digest more of what you're doing and, uh, and just get more of your work? So the best place to connect is obviously LinkedIn. And I'll tell anybody, if you connect with me and you don't put a personal note, I, I always accept them, but I will send a note back and I might say, hey, Ryan, how did you find me? I'm just curious. Because um, I like to understand where traffic is coming from. The vast majority of the time, people are reaching out because they take my courses on LinkedIn, and those are potential customers for me. So if they don't, if you don't put a note in, I'll I'll message you back. And I, I believe social media should be social, and so sometimes you end up with interesting conversations. I publish a lot of content on on LinkedIn. I, I repurpose my blog on there and all kinds of stuff all week long. Other people like to go to my website and actually sign up for the blog, which comes out every Tuesday or yeah, every Tuesday morning. It goes live on the internet on Monday at five, but I've been writing for almost a dozen years every single week, Monday, a uh, new post goes out and I don't limit it just to um, business or sales. I, I've written a lot about parenting, uh, social issues. You know, when the election comes up, I, I look at it through the lens of, of influence and I find it fascinating on both sides of the aisle what people are saying and doing and a lot of the hypocrisy on both sides of the aisle, yeah. but uh, it's, there's a variety of stuff. So, you know, the, the website is influencepeople.biz. Nice. So um, I encourage everyone to go connect on LinkedIn with Brian, go to his website, check it out. It is very deep when I was, you know, kind of researching our conversation, you know, it is, you have, you have been writing for a long time and it's great. I mean, it's great stuff. So there's tons of content there. Um, and then you can always go to the show notes on my site and I'll have links up to everything. So you can find it there if that's just easier when you're on the run and you forget. But, uh, Brian, this has been, this has been tremendous, man. I mean, I appreciate it. I enjoyed, we had a, we had an hour long conversation that we didn't record the first time we talked and that was tremendous. Um, and this has just, just been wonderful. And I hope, um, I know you've, um, I know you spoke at many organizations in the insurance industry, and I hope that anyone who hasn't had you in um, considers you now. And uh, I just think the work you're doing is tremendous. And it's absolutely, um, these are absolutely skills inside of the insurance sales 
culture that we have to implement. We absolutely have to implement them. So I appreciate the fact that you're out there and it's just been great to get to know you. Yeah, well, I appreciate it too, Ryan. It was fun. I, I enjoyed your style. It was fun to get to know you there on the phone. I'm sure we'll have more conversations. I look forward to it. For sure we will.